All right, now I have to try to do all of this with two hands because they gave me a clicker. You know what a clicker is? Of course you do. It's something that goes click. But the clicker allows me to actually move the slide without saying, next slide, please. And so I'm going to try to do that this morning, but bear with me because I've only got two hands and I've got three things to do with two hands. Anyway, we're going through a series called What About Israel? The series covers chapters 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans. You remember last week we had an introductory lesson into chapters 9, 10, and 11. We said that 9, 10, and 11 can be looked at as Israel's past, Israel's present, and Israel's future. It can also be looked at in terms of God's burden for Israel, God's prayer for Israel, and God's hope for Israel. And this morning, in the message, we're going to look at Romans 9, 1 to 5. Oh, is that cool or what? And we're going to ask this question. Do you have a burden for the lost? This is probably one of the most important questions I will ever ask from the Bema. And this message, for some of you, may be one of the most uncomfortable messages you will ever hear. Because you see, God's burden is Paul's burden, and it should be our burden. God's burden is Paul's burden, and it should be our burden. A congregation, dear ones, grows three ways. It can grow by what we call transfer growth, when people who are members elsewhere come and join, whether they're members locally or they've moved into town from out of town. And we thank God for every single person who unites with Son of David congregation in this way. There's another kind of growth, which is called biological growth, in which current children of members come to know the Lord. And I thank God for every precious child who learns about Yeshua here. The third kind of growth is where we're lacking. And that's called true conversion growth. That's where children, teenagers, and adults who really have no religious or congregation background are brought to Messiah by their loving friends and relatives, and they are one to Messiah, and they become part of the body of Messiah. And we just don't have a lot of those people who are coming to know Yeshua here at Son of David Congregation. When I think about Son of David and about the congregation in the book of Acts, there's a big, big difference. We do so little with so much, and that early congregation in the book of Acts did so much with so little. They didn't have padded pews. They didn't have microphones. They didn't have PowerPoint clickers. They didn't have computers projectors, hearbacks. They didn't have beautiful buildings, but I'll tell you what they did have. They had the power of the Holy Spirit and a concern for lost people. 
The Bible tells us that there were only 120 of them who gathered in that upper room for Shavuot. Yeshua was crucified. He went up. The Holy Spirit came down. The believers went out. And the lost came in. How many? 3,000 of them were saved in one day. Then the Bible tells us again the number of the disciples was multiplied, and it says again another 5,000 were brought to Messiah. The problem today is that we grow by the addition message, addition method, and the church in the book of Acts grew through a multiplication method. And so what's the difference? Well, Son of David is growing by addition, which means week after week, we have some added here and some added there. But multiplication means when everybody goes out and they take their faith and share it with others. That's how a congregation multiplies. That's how the congregation in the book of Acts multiplied. Now, I'm not all that smart in mathematics, but something tells me that if any, every one of us in this sanctuary right now went out and brought somebody with us next Shabbat, we'd have about twice as many people as we do today. That's multiplication, where every person realizes the importance of reaching people for the Messiah. And so this week I've been asking God to lay this on our hearts, not just today, but every day from here on out. I pray it will literally be etched upon our souls. And I pray to God that will even torture us somewhat. Because as a shepherd, it's my job to comfort the afflicted But sometimes as a preacher, it's my job to afflict the comfortable. Especially when we become so self-satisfied and complacent that we can't be moved into action for our Messiah. Now, you may disagree with me, but I personally believe that the Apostle Paul was the second most influential person who ever walked planet Earth. I think his writings in his life have had more impact on the entire world, second only to Yeshua. And I want us to read in Romans chapter 9, the first five verses, and I want us to see the burden, the concern that Paul had for lost people. And what we are about to read, I believe, is utterly amazing. Romans 9, verses 1 to 5. I tell the truth in Messiah. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Messiah for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom 
according to the flesh, Messiah came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. This is what Paul says. Listen, I am so burdened for my Jewish brothers and sisters to know Messiah. I have such sorrow in my heart. I have such unceasing anguish that I would even be willing to cut myself off from Messiah if it would mean that they would be saved. That, dear ones, is a powerful statement and a true burden for the lost. And so today, I want to ask each of us four questions. And these questions are not for someone else. These questions are for each one of us. And here's question number one. Do you really care about people who do not have Messiah? I'm talking about the people you go to school with. I'm talking about the people you work with. I'm talking about your neighbors, your friends, your relatives. Do you really care about them? And do you really care that they don't know Yeshua? For all of you who are born-again believers, and I know that many of you in this room are, if I were to line every one of you up and ask you to walk up the step to the Bema and stand behind me on this pulpit, and if I were to ask, tell me, and I would call out your name, do you really care about lost people? I suspect most people in this room who are believers would say, oh, yes, Dennis, I do care about lost people. But do you know what I think? As soon as you would say that, or as soon as you're thinking it right now, your conscience would give you a little twinge from within. Your conscience would be saying to you, do you, I really care about lost people? Then why don't I ever share my faith? Why don't I ever pray for the lost? Why don't I ever try to bring someone to faith? Your conscience might be saying to you, you're saying one thing, but you're living something else. Look again at verse 1. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth, I'm not lying. He says, even my conscience bears me witness. Can you honestly say today without your conscience saying you're a liar? Can you say I really care about lost people? My conscience gives me an ache as I preach this sermon. And do you know why? Because I know as the leader of Son of David that the majority of us do not bear the concern and burden for lost people like we ought to. Like Paul did. Son of David congregation is not reaching as many people for Messiah as it should. My conscience is saying to me, Dennis, you and Son of David need to have a heavier burden for the lost. And I hope, I pray, that your conscience is saying the same thing to you. Do you really care about lost people? 
So let me just say that in and of ourselves, we don't care about lost people. Only as we are in Messiah and Messiah is in us do we really have a burden for lost people. Do you see what Paul said at the very beginning of verse 1? He said, I speak the truth in Messiah. That's the key. Paul was in Messiah. Messiah was in Paul. And the more you are in Messiah and the more Messiah is in you, the more you will be concerned about people who don't know him. Because Yeshua was concerned about people who didn't have a relationship with him. In Luke 19, verse 10, he says this. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. The more you are full of Yeshua, and the more you are full of the love of Yeshua, the more you'll be concerned about people who are without Messiah. The more you are full of yourself and selfishness, the less you will be concerned. And so here's question number two. Is your heart broken for the lost? Look again at verse 2. Look at the word Paul uses. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish. Sorrow, anguish. Can anybody in this room say, yes, Dennis, yes, Lord, I have great sorrow over people who don't know Messiah. Can anyone say it's something that bothers me 24 hours a day? Can anyone say I have anguish over it? You know, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Probably because in Jeremiah 9.1, Jeremiah cries out to God and says this, quote, Oh, that my head were a fountain of waters, and oh, that my eyes were a river of tears, so I could have enough moisture that I could weep day and night for the slain of my people. Jeremiah was so burdened over his people that he wept. And do you remember when Yeshua was making his way into Jerusalem and he stopped on the Mount of Olives and he looked over Jerusalem? We call it the triumphal entry. But if you read your Bible, it was really a tearful entry. Yeshua stood there looking at the city of Jerusalem six days before he was going to be crucified. He looked at Jerusalem and do you know what he did? He burst into tears. Luke 19:41 He burst into tears. And the word there is a strong word which means his body with rat was racked with sobbing. It means tears were coursing down his cheeks. He looked at that city of people and he said, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you wouldn't receive me." He said, "If you only knew who could bring you inner peace, but you wouldn't receive me. And do you know what made him cry? He looked at a city of people that was more religious than we will ever be, but they were lost without him. And they were lost without a personal relationship with God.
look, there are people you work with, there are people you go to school with, there are people in your neighborhood, perhaps in your own home, who don't know what it means to know God personally. And so the question I'm asking is, is it breaking your heart? And I'm not asking you, are you sharing your faith? I'm asking you, do you even care about these people? That's a different question. Paul says, quote, Listen, it is great sorrow, it is unceasing anguish. He wept over lost people. How do we know? Because in Acts 20, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, he said, I did not cease for three days and night to warn people with tears. The story is told of the founder of the Salvation Army. His name was General William Booth. Some servants of the Salvation Army went into one extremely tough American city, and after working there for several years, they said, quote, it just won't work. We tried everything. The gospel is just not being received here. And they telegraphed that to William Booth, and he telegraphed back a two-word message. He said, try tears. Do you have a family member, a co-worker, a student, a friend? Do you have a neighbor who doesn't know Messiah and you think you've tried everything? Well, have you tried tears? Today, ask God to break your heart for them. And so I ask you this third question. Are you continually burdened for them? The key, I think, is that word in verse 2, unceasing anguish. Here's what Paul is saying. It's not something I feel a lot more strongly at one time, and then I forget about it at another. He says, it's a continual burden. It's something I carry with me 24-7. It's there all the time, wherever I go, whether I'm awake or I'm asleep or I'm with people or without people, I am always concerned about my people, Israel, who do not know their Messiah. And I'm afraid that's the problem. As a corporate body, it doesn't seem to me that we are concerned enough all the time about reaching Jewish people and lost people in general. Well, I'm here to tell you that if suddenly God would convict our hearts about it and we would get serious about it and bear a continual burden for it, in just one year, if every elder every deacon, every teacher, every ministry leader, every member just led one person to Yeshua, even though we are small, we would lead the entire area in salvations for that year. That's both wonderful and sad at the same time. In fact, if all of us here led one person to Messiah in 2019, we might very well lead the state. 
Now understand, our goal is not to lead the state in anything. Our goal is to honor and to obey God. Would you ask him, please, to put a continual burden on your heart? The Apostle Paul said, this is not something that I just get fired up about one time or another. It is a constant burden. And in a way, that's the problem with a message like this. Here's my guess. Some of you right now probably feel a little uncomfortable. But you're saying, hey, I don't know what got into Dennis today. But at least in about 10 minutes from now, I'm out of here and I'll forget all about it. That's right. Anything I can talk you into, someone else can talk you out of just as easily. God forbid I should ever lay a guilt trip on you about something. No. Instead, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to bring about conviction in our heart. And here's the problem. You hear a sermon like this and suddenly you fall under what I call red-hot conviction from the Holy Spirit. And you walk out of this room, you go down to the Oneg room, and suddenly icy cold waters of reason and doubt flood back in until that hot conviction is diluted into lukewarm apathy. You know what Yeshua said about lukewarm believers in Revelation 3? He said, they make me sick. I'm going to spew them out of my mouth like vomit. That's the problem. We've made lukewarm belief the norm. Sometimes we think if somebody gets saved and fired up about Yeshua, we say, just give them time and they'll be like the rest of us. I read a story of a man that got saved as a young adult. He was so excited about Messiah for the first couple of weeks, he told everybody the difference Messiah had made in his life. One Sunday night, he was at his church, and they sang this song. I'm sure some of you know the lyrics. Rescue the perishing, care for the dying, snatch them in pity from sin in the grave, weep over the erring one, bring them to Jesus, tell the poor sinner that Jesus can save. He heard that song and got so excited that as soon as the service was over, he rushed up to the pastor and said, Pastor, I'm ready. Pastor said, ready for what? He said, man, I'm ready to go rescue the perishing. Let's do it. The pastor looked at him and said, well, that's not something we really do. That's just a song we sing. It wounded that man's spirit for many years until he realized that the normal Christian life is to be excited about rescuing the the perishing. It is a continual burden that we bear. Did you know that the world out there without Messiah is trying to teach us a lesson? The problem is we're not paying much attention to what they're telling us, and this is what they're saying. Make sure your buildings are beautiful. Make sure your chairs are padded. Make sure the air conditioning and the heating is just right. Make sure the sound system works. Make sure the music's beautiful. Make sure you have creative Facebook ads. Do all of those things, and we are still not going to come. That's what they're saying. 
Do you think for one second that just because we build buildings that lost people are going to flock in by the hundreds? Absolutely not. Lost people just don't get up on a Saturday morning and say, hey, I'm going to go to Son of David this morning. It's hard enough for those of us who love Yeshua to get here on a Shabbat morning, isn't it? In some houses on Saturday morning, it can take an act of Congress to make it to service on time. Houses sometimes look like a war zone by the time they leave. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but you know what I'm talking about. It's tough for those of you who want to come here to come here. Do you think some family out there without Messiah is going to get up and get everybody cleaned and dressed and say, okay, guys, let's go down there to Son of David and learn about Yeshua today. It's not going to happen. That's like taking it. That's like a, a, a 10 point buck going over to the deer camp knocking his antlers on the door and saying, come on out and shoot me, here I am. It just doesn't happen that way. But when we go out in our jobs and at school and in our neighborhood, and when we get burdened over our friends and relatives and the people we work with and our neighbors, and we say, listen, I want to tell you about my Messiah. I want to tell you about the difference he's made in my life. And I want you to come to Son of David and see what he's about and see what he's doing. That's how lost people come here. And you say, well, I don't believe in talking to other people about religion. That's a private matter. Well, you know what? If all we're talking about was religion, I'd want to keep it private too. But we're talking about the most life-changing relationship a person can ever have. And once you understand that, you can't stay quiet. Our relationship is private, but our responsibility is public. Let me repeat that. Our relationship is private, but our responsibility is public. Remember, Yeshua didn't say, do you love feeding sheep? He didn't say, do you even love sheep? This is what he said. Do you love me? Do you love me? If you love me, you'll feed my sheep. And the more we fall in love with him, the more we'll have a burden to talk to others about him. You'll want to share him. Dear ones, are you continually burdened about this? Which brings us to the fourth question. What would you sacrifice for their salvation? Look at verse 3. And this to me is absolutely mind-boggling. Paul says... For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off for Messiah for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race. Now look, rather than debating what this really means, let me just tell you the bottom line. This is what Paul is saying. I'm so burdened over my Jewish brothers and sisters without Messiah 
that I would be willing to give up my salvation and go to hell if it would mean that they would be saved. Don't miss what he's saying here. He's speaking emotionally. He's not speaking theologically. Theologically, it's impossible for someone to give up their salvation and be cut off from their Messiah. I mean, he just wrote in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. But he's saying here, listen, my burden is so heavy that if I could, I would say, okay. In order for you to go to heaven, I would be willing to go to hell. He is so full of the Spirit of God and the mind of Messiah that he is talking like Yeshua did. Isn't that exactly what Yeshua did? Didn't Yeshua hang on the cross and literally baptize his soul into hell? Wasn't he literally cut off and separated from God the Father on the cross so you and I could go to heaven? He is so full of Yeshua. He's saying, I'm willing to go to hell that they could be saved. Now, I will be absolutely honest with you. I haven't reached verse 3 yet personally. I can't think of any person on earth I would rather be willing, I would be willing to give up my salvation for so they could go to heaven, except perhaps my wife, which I don't have to, (laughs) my children, which I don't have to, and my grandchildren, who are not old enough yet to make a decision. But Paul says, that's how burdened I am. And you have to understand where he's coming from. This is the man who in 2 Corinthians 12 said, I know a man, whether in the body or out of the body, who saw a vision of a third heaven. He says, I don't know if the man was dead or alive or in between, but he was sent into the third heaven. Now, you need to understand there aren't seven heavens. There are three heavens. The Bible speaks of the atmospheric heaven. That's heaven number one. It speaks of the celestial sky, the stars and the galaxies. That's heaven number two. But heaven number three, that's the dwelling place of God. And he said, I was escorted into the third heaven, into the dwelling place of God. And Paul says, I saw things. They're so beautiful. They're so marvelous, so wonderful. I was forbidden to share about it. That's the same man who said, having seen all of that, I'd still be willing to give it up if my Jewish brothers and sisters could be saved. That's sacrifice. God's not asking any of us to give up our salvation. It's impossible. But he may be asking us to sacrifice something else. Maybe sacrifice your pride. Maybe sacrifice your comfort zone. Maybe sacrifice a false sense of respectability when it makes you think that if you don't talk to others about Messiah, you'll stay respectable to them. Dear ones, believers are guilty of the sin of silence. And if you think if you talk to somebody about Messiah that they're going to call you a religious nut, 
Well, you're just going to have to sacrifice that feeling to initiate conversations about him. What are you willing to sacrifice so others can know your Messiah? There's an old evangelist named Eddie Martin. I wish I was like Eddie Martin. He's really blunt and straightforward. I can't afford to be that from the Bema. Too many of you will stop liking me. He could never have been a pastor because he's just too straightforward. But he tells a story about staying in the home of a very wealthy family one time when he was doing an evangelistic meeting. He said to the lady, I'll see you tonight at services. She said, oh, I'm not going to services tonight. He said, why not? Something wrong? Listen. She said, well, we have a mission study group in our church, and I'm part of it. Tonight we are meeting to talk about missions. Eddie Martin didn't like that too much. And so he said, you know, I would have thought that when you have a revival meeting at the church, you'd cancel those things, and everybody would support the revival. Well, she didn't like him saying that. So she kind of straightened herself up and said, well, I'll have you know, sir, that missions is every bit as important as evangelism. Now, he wasn't going to argue with that, but he came back at her and he said, well, you go ahead and go to your mission meeting, but you don't care about lost people anyway. By then, the air was getting pretty thick. She said, how dare you say that? What makes you say that? Eddie said, well, yesterday I talked to your maid and asked her if she was saved. She said, no. And I asked her if she would like to be saved, and she said, yes. I led her to faith in Messiah. I asked her how long she'd been working for you, and she said, several years. I asked her if you had ever told her about Jesus, and she said, no. So, Eddie said, you go along to your mission meeting, but you'll never convince me that you care about lost people. He said she stomped out and he stomped out, but about halfway through the service that evening, that lady came in and sat on the back pew. And when the invitation was given, she was the first one down the aisle, weeping and broken. She came and stood before the church and she said, I've been a phony and I need you to forgive me. I've loved church work. I've loved mission work. And I have loved this church. But I haven't loved lost people the way Jesus loved lost people. I want you to forgive me, and I want God to forgive me. Could it be could it be that some of us need to say that today? God, I have not been concerned about lost people. There are people out there without Messiah. 
And those people are not going to break down the doors of our congregation to get here and learn about him. Dear ones, we can't be satisfied. We can't be complacent until someone has shared with them like someone shared with us. Paul had a burden for his people. Romans 9, verse 4. His people who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Acts 35, Luke says it this way. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Paul says in Romans 9, find of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Messiah came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6, we read this. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. Do you really care about the lost? Is your burden for the lost? Are you continually burdened for them? And what are you willing to sacrifice for their salvation? What about Israel? Are you burdened? Let's pray. Avinu Malkano, our, our Father and our King. I don't ask for schemes or paradigms or procedures or the best outreach tools. I ask for your heart. I ask it for myself and for the congregation I serve. I ask, Father, that even next week we would see new faces in this place because someone invited them to come to hear about their God. I ask you to make this congregation ready to receive them and people's hearts ready to ask them. I ask for revival 
in this body. Not by people coming from other places, but by people coming from death to life. And Father, perhaps there's someone here this morning who is still living in the land of the dead, yet thinking they're in the land of the living. And if that's the case right now, among loving brothers and sisters, if there's anyone who needs to claim the life of Messiah as their own, would you please just stand so I can pray for you? Is there anyone this morning who needs a change of heart to receive his heart so that his heart can be shared with others and they can have it also? Is there anyone this morning who needs to make that life-changing decision? Father God, there is none like you. Give us the heart and the courage to take that message to a dead and dying world. And all this I pray in Yeshua's name. And let us all say together, Amen.